Guys, if you have your Bibles, I'm in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 13 and read through 16. And the Word of God says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so uh, our question this morning, our seventh, by the way, it's a 13-week series in case you're wondering, uh, our seventh question this morning, not that you're following what question number we're on, but here it is, if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? That's found in verse 13. If salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? And uh, I'll give you the quick answer, ready? Uh, it can't. It can't. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, like, like once it loses its saltiness, I know that's weird for us. We, we have iodized salt. It never loses its saltiness, right? Um, but if you were going to use natural salt, it has natural impurities in it. Very common for that to lose its saltiness. And the, the point is that if you even threw it out, it could ruin your soil, right? It's not good for anything once it loses its saltiness. And so the point Jesus is making is that like, if you lose your saltiness, it's, it, 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 you, you can't be made salty again. You can't be. So, so that's, that, that's the easy part. The hard part is that this question... Uh, that we're highlighting this morning. We're doing it for a reason because it raises another very important question for believers to grapple with. Namely, what does it mean to be salty? What's he referring to when Jesus says, if you lose your salt, you can't be made salty? And what, what does it mean to be made salty? So here is the beautiful part. Um, almost all Bible scholars unanimously agree uh, on what it means to be salty in a sense, right? Here's, here's what they agree on. They agree that what Jesus is talking about is, is, this is, this is the best I can give you. I can't, because like, after this, there's all kinds of disagreements. But they agree in some sense that it's some kind of preserving presence. That's as much uh, commonality as we have amongst Bible scholars. It, it, Jesus is talking about some kind of preserving influence, because salt was used uh, to preserve things, right? So that's as far as we get. But after that, Man, there's massive disagreement about what it means. In fact, there's a whole group of people uh, that I'm going to address this morning, kind of through our message that um, kind of, it's always been there, but it got really popular in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, kind of a thought about what it means to be salty. And we kind of want to address that biblically this morning. So I've got three things to share with you. The first thing is what uh, saltiness is not, and then we're going to get about what it is and then what we have to do because of it. So here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning, guys, is that being salty cannot mean trying to preserve society through political involvement or moral policing because it never meant that to Jesus. Let me say that again. Being salty cannot mean trying to preserve society through political involvement or moral policing because it never meant that to Jesus. Uh, first class I ever took in seminary uh, was called Biblical Hermeneutics. 
Uh, hermeneutics is the art and the science of observing what a text says, interpreting what it means, and applying it to today's uh, culture and situation. And uh, it, there's a bunch of rules in hermeneutics. Um, there's, you know, like all kinds of stuff, which I, I won't get into all of them, but certain types of writings uh, mean certain things. You know, uh, you, you can't bring your own thoughts, processes into the Bible, which we all do, so you have to know yourself in order to study the Bible because we all have presuppositions. So there's all these like little rules, but there's one giant rule in hermeneutics. It is the number one golden rule, and here it is for you. Uh, because you guys all do this too. You read your Bible, you make observations, you interpret it, you try to apply it. So here's the golden rule of hermeneutics. Ready? A text can never mean what it never meant. A text can never mean what it never meant. And here is the deal. Late 70s, early 80s, in America, huge group of pastors began to believe that it was the Christian duty through politics and moral policing to change our culture in America. All right? It's really what I would call the birth of Christian nationalist movement. Uh, these guys were often on TV. Uh, and what happened is at some point, um, Christianity really got tied into the thought of moral fiber of America. Uh, and, and, and so America is about Christianity. It's all tied together. We, we've got to govern and police. And, and, uh, and so that became a very popular thought when somebody came to this text. Somebody came to this text and they read Jesus saying, these words, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? And they're going to say, see, we're meant to preserve society. That's their interpretation of it. The problem is that that is not how Jesus himself interpreted or meant this text. And we see that by looking contextually at his life, right? So Jesus shows up on the scene, right? Our, our point one is being salty cannot mean trying to preserve society through political involvement or moral policing because it never meant that. And I say that because Jesus shows up into that environment where a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees were trying to do exactly that. They had politicized religion. They were trying to morally police all of the people that weren't part of their religion. And their belief was that they had to preserve society so that God would come back. So that the Messiah would come. And guess what? In the midst of their efforts, the Messiah came. And, 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 and these guys, listen, what the Messiah, what Jesus says to these people is you've got it all wrong. My, my kingdom isn't like that at all. My kingdom's not even of this world. He says, you people are so focused on the outward. You're so focused on the externals. You're so focused on outward behaviors. Don't you know that all of those things come from the heart within? And so he goes on, he says, you know what you need? You've got to be born again. It's, it's an inward change that has to occur in you. And, and listen, it, what, what we'll, we'll understand as we study the life of Jesus is it is impossible to do what the Pharisees are asking of people without an inward change. He, he actually says, he condemns it. He says, you're, you're putting weights and burdens on people that they can't live out without the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God. You guys see what I'm saying? So, I, I begin here, guys, with a text can't mean what it never meant. That Jesus, when He taught, you're the salt of the world, there's zero chance... 
he meant that salt of the world meant that we were supposed to be preserving our society through political involvement and moral policing because he actually showed up and condoned that kind of behavior, right? Jesus taught that it wasn't external, that something had to happen on the inside. And, and really, that's what James picks up on. In James chapter 4, James writes, What's the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Right? And this is the theme of the Bible. We don't have an exterior problem. Believe it or not, I know you guys look at the world and you think, man, our world is so jacked up. It's got such an external problem. We need new laws. We need new policies. We need new people in office. That's what's going to fix it. I'm here to tell you today, that won't change anything. What has to change is the hearts of people. That's what has to change, right? Uh, I, I'll put it this way for you. These are my words. You, you can write them down. I think they're good, but I don't quote myself. We see this, I believe, in the life of Paul, too. If you study Paul, you study how... And it's, listen, through Paul, Paul's the, the minister to the Gentiles. It's through Paul, uh, right? So Peter begins the church, but Paul's going to reach the Gentiles. He begins planting churches. Paul's a huge part of the reason why we're here today. And what about Paul's life? I want you to notice this. Paul never went to Rome to change laws. He didn't go to Rome to change laws. He went to Rome to change hearts. He went to Rome to share the gospel. Right? And listen, he shared it with the people in power. But, but he never came proposing a new law. He came sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that there was no name under heaven and earth by which men could be saved other than Jesus. Right? That's it. That's it. So that's a big deal. So being salty cannot mean trying to preserve society through political involvement, moral policing, because it never meant that to Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to know. So then what does it mean to be salty? Let's talk about that. Second thing. I believe wholeheartedly we are called to help preserve people from being permanently separated from God. We are called to help preserve people from being permanently separated from God. So this salty, salt, is about uh, preserving. What are we called to preserve? We're called to preserve people uh, from separation from God, from hell, right? From hell. And, and we, we, we begin to pick up on this theme when we study uh, the passage in, in Mark that talks about the same thing. So Mark 9, 47 through 50, uh, Jesus speaking says, And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. He's talking about hell here, folks. He says, where uh, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. And so I want to put all of this together. So the context of our original uh, passage was, was there in, in Matthew, and I'll read uh, 11 and 12, but I, I read it earlier, right? And so Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And he says, you're the light of the world. Uh, sitting on a hill cannot be hidden, right? You don't light a lamp and, and hide it under a bowl. No, you, 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 you let it give light to the whole room. So clearly in context, uh, we're called to be witnesses, right? So being salty has to be uh, about witnessing. Uh, we go to Mark and we learn it has to do about witnessing uh, because hell is involved, right? And because hell is real. And also what we pick up in Mark, maybe you didn't know, is, is it talks about being salted by the flames. And so in the Old Testament, when you brought an offering, 
um, you would salt that offering. You'd, you'd salt the bread offering, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't put any sugar, but you'd, you'd salt it. Um, and you'd also they'd often salt a meat offering. And, and the reason why is because it was a symbol of permanence. Because it was a symbol of permanence. And y'all, here is the deal. When we die, we will face judgment. And depending on what we have done with Jesus Christ, folks will permanently end up in one of two places. Period. And God, as He has brought us to life, has then told us, your job now, for the rest of your days, what you should exist for, is to go tell people about that day and about my son, the only solution for that day. That's what we're called to do. The, the, the call of the church, and, and listen, I, I, could, I could read you quote after quote of how we, we think it's about everything else. And, and you know what? The more that the church has been involved in social movements and focus on those things, uh, it, it seems the less we have focused on evangelism, and it's not working. It's not. Because you know what? The external has no power. People need Jesus. The church is called to preach Jesus. When Jesus says, what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? You say, what is he talking about? He's talking about our witness. We are called to help preserve people from permanently being separated from God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So then, uh, what does he mean when he talks about losing that? What does he mean when he talks about losing that? I, I want to tell you, I'm a Baptist pastor. I'm a Baptist pastor for a reason. I believe wholeheartedly that you cannot lose your salvation. I've studied it. I've studied it over and over and over. I, I mean, we can get into texts about what about the people that fall away. We can get into uh, the parable of the seed and the sower. I, I can talk you through how, what I believe, all those things. I think Jesus says some people will uh, emotionally respond to the thought of Christianity and the gospel, but life will choke that away. And I think he said there's only one true believer, and, and we get into all of that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I firmly believe that uh, once a person is truly saved, they, they cannot lose their salvation because you are not saved by your faith. Your faith is how you fall into the grace of God, which is un changing okay God doesn't remove grace God's the same yesterday today and forever he's a gracious God so if we've trusted in his son Jesus Christ I don't believe that we can lose our salvation okay however I do think we can lose our effectiveness aka lose our witness right and when Jesus talks about this right he says you're the salt of the earth you're supposed to be a preserving influence. Wait, is that moral policing? Is that through, through politics? Absolutely not. You're, you're called to preserve people from the reality and the permanence of hell. Okay? And he says, listen, you can affect that by how you live. I think there's a couple ways that we can do that. And so um, I want to I give you uh, this, this last point. We're called to preserve our personal witness and mission in the midst of persecution and personal sacrifice. Okay? We're called to pr preserve our personal witness and mission in the midst of persecution and personal sacrifice. Uh, we know that that's the case, again, because of context. That's how we study the Bible. And, uh, and, and uh, Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, you're, uh, you're blessed, this is right before our verse 13, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Right? Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how the persecute, uh, that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so the context is clearly persecution. We have to maintain our witness in the midst of persecution. It's going to involve personal sacrifice. That goes back to the salt. You will be salted with fire, 
right? So there's a sacrifice involved in being a witness for Christ. Um, but I, I really love how the great Welsh um, Protestant pastor who was, uh, he was in London for 30 years, his name's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, puts everything we're talking about into context, okay? So kind of here's his explanation of, of what we're talking about. He says the primary task of the church, and I want you to keep in mind, by the way, <coughs> mm-hmm. we, man, we almost got through it without coughing. I want you to keep in mind, by the way, he's living in a different age. Okay, so, so the, the challenge of his age is communism. So you're going you're gonna to hear that in this quote, but here it is. It says, the primary task of the church is to evangelize and to preach the gospel. Look at it like this. If the Christian church today spends most of her time denouncing communism, it seems to me that the main result will be that communists will not be likely to listen to the preaching of the gospel. Right? So if the church makes its, its goal about, about just denouncing uh, a, a political movement, um, he says, it seems to me that what will happen is, is all those people that would identify as communists aren't going aren't to be open to the gospel, which, by the way, is the church's primary, uh, primary call, right? Um, it, so again, it seems to me that the, the main result will be that communists not be likely to listen to the preaching of the gospel. If the church is always denouncing one particular section of society, she is shutting the evangelistic door upon that section. If we take the New Testament view of these matters, we must believe that the communist has a soul to be saved in exactly the same way as everybody else. If you wanted to, you could insert socialist in today's words. Uh, there you go. Uh, and and, and so here, this is what it's saying, right? Has a soul to be saved in exactly the same way as everybody else. It is my business as a preacher of the gospel and as a representative of the church to evangelize all kinds of and conditions and classes of men and women. The moment the church begins to intervene in these political, social, and economic matters, therefore she is hampering and hindering herself in her God-appointed task of evangelism. So here's what I'm saying to you. We're called to be the salt. We're called to be a witness to preserve people from the permanent reality of hell. But we can lose that saltiness. We can lose that witness. So how do you do that? I think there's a couple ways. So I'll give you the first. I think the first is, is uh, a very public, uh, I don't know a good way to do this. I think the first is kind of a large-scale public moral failure. Right? I mean, just you blow it so big where so many people know it and see it that, like, I mean, everybody's like, oh, yeah. Like, you can do that. Now, again, I don't believe that that means you lose your salvation. I just think it means that when you talk, people aren't going to listen. Right? Uh, that, it happens in ministry all the time. You see somebody that, that, that did all these great things and had a big ministry, and then they... And what happens? You question everything they talk. You question all those things. Do not believe that person lost their salvation. I think they lost their way, and I think they lost their witness. So that can happen. The Bible says we need to be on guard. <laughs> Right? We're supposed to put on the full armor of God. You should always be aware of your Christian witness. You need to always be aware. Like, there is a way for me to blow it. Okay? Alright, so there's that. Second way I think we can lose our saltiness, guys, is we can get so off mission. And remember, the mission is the gospel. We can get so off mission that we end up alienating the people that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with. And that's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking about. Alienating the people that we 
are called to save. Uh, there are terms that should bother you as somebody that is focused on preserving others from hell. Christian nationalists should bother you. The term should eat at you. Okay? The term evangelical used in a political sense should anger you. Because that's referencing somebody that's been so swept up in politics that the gospel is not the primary thing. Somebody that's so worried about policing people that don't have the Holy Spirit, therefore that aren't going to get it, right? Instead of introducing people to the Holy Spirit that will bring about natural change in their life. And the church, universally, but especially in America, has been swept up into these things. Alright? So what do we do? What do we do? Before we, like, are just good for nothing. Because that's what Jesus says, by the way. You get swept up in that, you're good for nothing. So before we're good for nothing, what do we do? Number one, I think we repent from the moral policing mindset. That's what I'm going to call it. We repent. You said, Pastor, that's a strong word. Yes, I do. Repentance means that we've sinned. We have. We have. Anytime we think that somebody needs to change outward behavior without Jesus, as a sinful thought. Because they can't. Right? And anytime we're trying to police them into that, and we haven't shared Christ with them, we have sinned gravely. We're the ones with the message. We're the ones that are supposed to be telling them about Jesus. We're the ones that are supposed to be loving them. We're the ones that are supposed to be sacrificing for them. And all we're doing is asking them to be something that they can't be without the Holy Spirit that we haven't introduced them to. You got it? We've got to repent of that. That is sin in the church. We've got to repent of that. Two... We've got to return to prioritizing the gospel. Why do I go to church? Because I need to hear the gospel on a regular basis because I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I go to church so I can learn the gospel. I go to church so I can live the gospel. And I go to church so I can go out and share the gospel. My life is about the gospel. It's about the fact that God loves me and made me in His image it's about the fact that God has supplied everything for me, but I have rejected Him, right? I've chosen to live my own way. That sin has separated me from a holy, perfect God, and nothing I do on my own can undo what's been done. I need a Savior. It's about a God that loves me so much that He sent a Savior in the form of His own Son who came and lived a perfect life that I could not. He died on a cross for my sins, even though I wasn't alive yet, He was thinking of me. And if I'll believe that, the Bible says that He will accredit to me all of His perfection, all of His righteousness, so that I can become a child of God. And it's very clear in this, there's no other way to do that. It's the Gospel. But, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I have to believe that. I have to be reminded of that. I have to go out and share that. And listen, I have to live my life in a way that says, that is what I'm here for. Nothing else. Alright, lastly, we have to fight to remain focused. 
And it is going to be a fight, y'all. If the devil can't just overtake you, he will distract you. And he will distract you chasing a million different rabbit trails. And I think the church today is doing a fine job of that. We've got to get back to what matters. All right? We've got to get back to what matters. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, uh, we're here. I don't think it's too late. I pray that people receive this as a message of hope. I don't believe that we have lost our witness yet. But God, I do believe that we are very close to doing so in America today. God, help the church repent of all the behaviors that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. Help us return to the sufficiency of your solution, your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us be so consumed with how beautiful the Gospel is that we can't even focus on anything else. God, work in your church again. Work in our hearts again. Let us be focused on sharing the Gospel. We do not need a different politician in office King Jesus, we need you back on your throne. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.